0: This is such a good episode. Not only is Douglas hilarious and super smart, but the whole conversation around how buyers have changed, and that's why marketing has changed, and that's why marketing and sales need to be more human instead of more automated is a super valuable conversation that if you haven't heard, you need to start internalizing immediately. So you're going to love this episode. You're also going to notice. This is one of those live internet talk shows. Douglas showed up live. There's audience interaction. I would love to see you at the next one in order for you to show up so that you can ask questions to our next guest, be made part of the show, make it to the podcast, make it to the repurposed content that I do. Just look in the show notes, connect with me on LinkedIn, and come to the next one. Today's show, if you're watching it, listening to this when it comes out, is Jerry McNamara, who is a three-time Inc. 5000 Best Places to Work CEO of companies of over $100 million, talking about how to win Best Places to Work while having a high-growth company. I think it's super interesting. Next week, we're bringing on Gina Tierno to talk about how to build culture into remote work environments. It's going to be about hiring, processes, all the different things that Gina has used to create these unbelievably close-knit teams that work across multiple time zones a subject that is more and more relevant every single day today if you want to grow a great company all right no more yakking i'm gonna leave you with the genius of douglas burdette enjoy if you know how it is then you know how it might be but think what it would look like if you grow your own community it ain't easy that's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But... Who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable. How to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short term goals and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO. CMO or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community you are just a commodity but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities this show is for you If you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy, this show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome everybody to the B2B Community Builder Show. I'm your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And with me today is a guy that I am super excited to talk to. He is a madison avenue ad man that founded artillery marketing he's the host of the marketing book podcast that has the best looking audience in podcasting from what i hear he is it's true
1: look at you <laughs> look at me look at this you are not an unattractive man so it's obvious you're a listener to the marketing book podcast
0: it's it's i've got that uh, marketing book podcast je ne sais quoi about me
1: <laughs> yeah no, don't speak um, French.
0: One, okay. <laughs> one of the most famous people to come from LA, that is lower Alabama. He's an aspiring stand up comedian, and he's here to share the wisdom of having read 350 plus marketing books and interviewed their authors on what is quickly become one of my favorite podcasts that I most listen to and most look forward to. His name is Douglas Burdett. Welcome to the show, Douglas.
1: Thank you. Thanks for those kind words about the Marketing Book Podcast. Um, I am uh, just a knuckleheaded podcaster that can't stop reading these books. And for me, it's exciting to be able to interview these authors uh, who pour their heart and soul into these books. And I just get so much out of it. And over the years, I've found out that a lot of listeners really also benefit from it, which uh, really makes me uh, very happy.
0: I would imagine you put a you put a lot of care into those podcasts and it's obvious and that, that adds extra value. Before we get into this conversation, I want to welcome our friends that have joined us today. I love you for showing up, right? This is the value of the live internet talk show, is to be able to directly pick the brain of Douglas Burdett. You can always pick my brain. That's not that difficult. But uh, Douglas is a real rock star. He knows a lot of things. So I know that the moment that I asked him for a recommendation on something, he shot off three great recommendations and he nailed the one example that I always use without me teeing him up. I want to do a little roll call. Anthony Collard, welcome to the show. Aviva Spots, welcome. Holly Heard, welcome to the show. Isar Matis, my Israeli business partner. Love that guy. Jerry McNamara, who I effectively call J-Mac. He's affect- affectionately called J-Mac. He's a big-time CEO fella. Lauren Amon, my new best friend from the Badass Business Summer. Lisa Lecker, good liquor, good to see you as well. Muhammad Allah, and one of your past guests on your show, Douglas, Robin Dreek, the yes. FBI truth teller himself. Welcome, Robin. Yes. Good to see you in the house, man. Very
1: yeah. cool. Wow. Yeah. Robin Dreek. Dang. You know, he was an FBI agent, so when I interviewed him about his excellent book, Sizing People Up... I was so, because I heard, you know, Martha Stewart, she went to prison for uh, saying something false to the uh, FBI agents who were investigating something to do with insider trading. And I was like, wow, all you'd have to do is lie to an FBI agent. And I thought, man, I am so nervous because I might accidentally say something that's not true unwittingly. And he said, no, no, I'm no longer an FBI agent. So, you know, relax. But uh, just a regular human now. Yeah. He was luring (laughs) me in. Yeah. You got to be careful about these guys.
0: What they do those yeah. spy catches. So I just want to yeah. say this is an interactive show. I want you interacting in the chat like you're doing. Uh quick trick is that right now, Robin and Jerry, you're only talking to me and Douglas. I would love for everybody else to kind of get in on the action. Eesar's doing it right. You got to change the chat that you have above you. It says hosts and panelists. Change that to everybody. So that you can make a new friend, everybody can see your genius. If you want a question asked on the show, I ask that you use the Q and A function because once people start chatting in the chat, they start chatting and it goes real quick. I have a limited capacity in my brain; I may go cross-eyed if I try to keep track of all of it. So the Q and A really helps me get questions in front of Douglas, since that is who you actually. It's great to see
1: all the folks that are on here. I recognize some of the names. Let's go ahead and answer that one question that a lot of people seem to be asking, you know, naturally, a former FBI agent, Robin Drake, would be asking that. And the the answer to your question is uh, those charges were dropped. Okay, there's a difference between being indicted and convicted. We can go into that later in the Q&A if you want, but uh, maybe we can open it up to some other questions.
0: Yeah, that's called a hook to the end. Stay around to find out what he was indicted on, folks. Douglas, what I would love to start with is I'm I'm fascinated by your perspective on the overall marketing industry. You've been in this game for a really, really long time. You started doing this podcast four years ago. You've read a ton. From your perspective, are there any macro trends that you have seen coming for a while that are coming to roost right now, opportunities for marketers, stuff like that at a 10,000 square foot level?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a bit of tech fatigue Marketing technology fatigue, and I think there's a an acceptance curve where, like, for anything that comes along, there's a lot of excitement at the beginning. It was the same for content marketing. Uh, then there's this—is uh, it the McKinsey curve? I can't recall. But it's, then people start to realize, oh, this stuff isn't all that's it's cooked up to be. I mean, think content marketing was that way, marketing technology that way, and people think uh, humans are on a never-ending quest for a silver bullet, and so. The the thing that I notice is that marketing technology, as Mark Schaefer will say, you know, it it really has been used to annoy at scale. <laughs> and the 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 problem with marketing automation is that it's not really automated. In other words, <laughs> you actually have to have people correctly operating the tools and technology. And as so much has gone, you know, digital, and of course we've been through the pandemic with Zoom and so forth the uh, people have started to realize that uh, the most human connection wins. So there's been a number of books that talk about how you actually have to go even further to appear more human to the people you're trying to reach. uh, Because if you're too slick or too automated or too impersonal, or you sound like a robot It really turns people off. They think they're being, you know, it's like those chat bots you see on, on websites, you know, you're trying to get some help. It's like, no, I just want to talk to a human. And so I think that, you know, I read a couple of books recently where they said, you know, you you probably have more marketing technology tools than you need. (laughs) What is it you're actually trying to do? Who is it you're actually trying to reach? And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, uh, the the LinkedIn bros that are always talking about crushing it and you know B two B marketing lead gen yeah you know that may work one time out of a thousand but nine hundred ninety nine of those people hate you and they don't want to work with you and they they might remember you I certainly send a lot of people to the spam folder every day unless they have a thing on their email that says if you don't want to hear from us yeah I don't want to punish anyone. They're fighting for my attention, and I'm resentful of someone who tries to steal my attention. I'm getting pretty good at it, and I think most people are. So that's that's one thing about being more human. And the thing that maybe doesn't have as much lift, I, I sense, or or maybe will later, But and this is, again, one of those things from hundreds of books that have been on the show that just keeps coming back to me anyway, and that is that the more you understand your customers and your prospects, the more successful you'll be. And you don't have to completely understand them, like you know the way Robin Drake would understand the criminal mind. You just have to understand it a little bit better than your competition. and it is amazing at how receptive uh, people are to that, where subconsciously, they're not saying this with the you know the logic, logical part of their brain, but they're saying, they understand me. They get me, they know me. It's like thinking about you meet somebody or like uh, you're dating or something, and they think, yeah, they they really get me, you know. Yeah, it's that sort of thing where if you understand what their problems and their frustrations are and their you know the uncertainty in their life, you're whatever you're trying to help them with, you'll really break through. And yet, it's just so difficult for companies to do that. And also add to that, so many companies for reasons associated with our cave-dwelling ancestors' brain, they want to to seem the same. There's a sea of sameness with companies and organizations, and it's really counterintuitive to want to be different. Um, I, I guess another thing that I'd want to say, and then I'll step down off my soapbox here, but the thing that I see a lot of companies struggle with is they think that marketing is just promotion. It's just what you say about yourself. And I'm sorry to break this to your audience, but people don't really trust what companies say. <laughs> you know, they trust what their friends say. They trust what perfect strangers say. And marketing now has a whole lot more to do with the way you run your company. It has more to do with the kinds of people you hire and how you treat your uh, customers. That's just so much more powerful. And that gets into the whole customer experience story. But I see a lot of companies... I speak to a number of them who want to write a check and have something happen and, you know, make up your own lipstick on a pig story. But, you know, as we used to say in the ad business, nothing kills a bad product faster than really good advertising. (laughs) I've seen that happen. So those are just a few thoughts. Uh, Be interested to see what the folks uh, here say.
0: yeah. I mean, Jerry, Jerry put resentful of stealing my attention equals amen. Anyone need a car warranty, <laughs> right? That's yes. uh quintessential. Like, so my, you know, my wife's from Latin America, she's not used to this like barrage of trash we get in the mail. And every time we get one of these like super official notices that say, we're going to go to jail if we don't renew our car warranty. It's a conversation and it happens all the time. You brought up a couple of really interesting things Douglas. this. Like you, you, you really just went straight down the vein of everything that I, I believe in. And it's, it's funny because I, I feel like I parachuted into marketing, right? Like I've only been self-describing as a marketer. I've been working in marketing legitimately for three years and really only self-describing as a marketer for like a year, year and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. And all of these kind of things came to me. It, it's obvious when you look from the outside in and you don't just accept the the truth of what's happening and you ask, why are you doing something like this when you understand how relationships work, but I want to kind of like reverse engineer what you're talking about. Number one is companies still think that it's about promotion and they don't understand that they're just yelling into a megaphone into people that don't want to hear them. Another, Another thing is a fundamental truth about people that it's people don't do business with who they think they understand. They do business with people that they think understand them, right? And grow relationships with people that think they understand them and stuff like that. And then this trend of MarTech just being this like ability to annoy at scale. I'd love to kind of deconstruct those in order. What what do you think it is about what's happening in the business landscape, right? You have a successful marketing agency. You have these conversations with folk. What What is the conversation that you need to get into with the average buyer of a marketing service to get them to understand that first you need to listen? And you can't just like push a button and all of a sudden, all these leads are going to show up and then turn into buyers because you're all of a sudden super loud. Like, what out of either your books or your experience, how do you approach that? Or what's the best way you think to approach that type of stuff?
1: Well, I'm sometimes swimming upstream because people still have, and maybe a, a generation of people, certainly my age or even younger who still, it's like they're buying a new photocopy machine or they're, you know, I, I want to install this this thing. And the, in the old days, you really could write a check, run a bunch of advertising. And when I worked in, you know, New York City and advertising at those big agencies, there really was almost a correlation with the client's advertising budget and their market share. <laughs> and that was because we had a, cap, a much more captive audience. We didn't have time shifting dvrs you know we didn't have this annoying internet thing which of course we know is a fad and it's like social media and so there were these gatekeepers and you know you could really control the media if i wanted information i had to read it in a newspaper or on a magazine or listen to a radio commercial or radio show or watch television and, you know, go to the library, but again, consume some, some more of that, that type of thing. And so I guess in the good old days, we could shout at people through advertising and they would do it. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of people that still have that impulse. They want to do that. You know, I've gotten calls. I got a call some years back from a big aerospace company in California, and they had a marketer there and she had been like a Silicon Valley marketer. And she said, Douglas, they they want to do digital marketing they want to do social media (laughs) i said great what are they trying to accomplish i don't know we don't have any goals they just want to they want to do the thing and i'm just oh it never ends well and that's like they want to make they want to make noise and it's kind of self-indulgent they want to make themselves feel better what um i have to do i have to spend a lot of time talking to people companies and these aren't stupid people they're very good at you know, running a business or or maybe having some sort of expertise. But what they don't understand is that the way that people buy has changed. That's the only reason why marketing and sales has changed. So in the old days, when I was a kid and my dad wanted to buy a new car, you know, well, let me ask you or the audience, where, where do you think my dad had to go primarily to get information about the car?
0: I'll give a... Dealership itself is what Lauren says. Yes. Anthony
1: Collard says the dealer. Yes, he had to go to the dealership. Now, why do you think he had to go to the dealership to get in that information?
0: Because the dealers were okay. not distributing their information out frictionlessly to
1: the public. Well, and it wasn't as easy for them to do, yeah. but that that was where the information was. So in the old day, the seller had the information and the buyer wanted it. And along the way, the seller could extract that pound of flesh to, to get that information. Now, you know, a couple of years ago, my wife bought a new car. Where do you think the last place was she went to get information on the car? Anyone have an idea? The dealer? Well, actually, no, the last place she went to was to her husband, I was actually out of town at a Naval Academy football game. And and I say Naval Academy loud because that's where uh, Robin Drake went. And his son is there right now, I believe. I was at a Naval Academy football game and she was texting me and I didn't have much battery left and there wasn't much reception. And my wife said, is $5,000 a good monthly payment for a new car? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I had to grab somebody else's phone and call her. So what are you talking about? She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I had my decimals messed up. It's $500. But anyway... (laughs) She she knew just what she wanted. She asked other people. She was able to get that information. So sometimes when I tell a story like that to a group of people, they'll say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I buy. And they'll say something which is patently untrue, but they want to think it's true. They'll say, I'm not influenced by advertising. You're influenced mm-hmm. by advertising. Done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't believe that. But you know, I, I, that's how I do it. You know, I go to Consumer Reports or I get to this other information. And then I say, do you think maybe your, your customer's do that and it always usually kind of blows their mind like yeah i guess so and then they start to understand that you know people just aren't as as interested in them so that's that's something that is still uh, i still just run into a lot of friction with and there's just um humans are very self-centered and that's what's helped us evolve over you know thousands and thousands of years is taking care of ourselves but unfortunately, this is a real struggle for um, people. They want to talk about themselves, their products, their you know, their the specs, and it it actually is not only uninteresting; it telegraphs that you don't care about the customer. If you could just first talk about what their problems are, it's much more effective. And we've seen this again and again. And, and one of the ways that Gives us an unfair advantage in any, and I talk about this on the podcast all the time, is that one of my favorite books is by Our Personas by Adele Ravella. And I'm not just saying that because she recently sent me a message because I keep talking about her book on the podcast. And she said, you know, I I love you madly, Douglas. It doesn't help. You know, it doesn't hurt, though. I, you know, we all want to be loved. Yeah. And, but she talks in her book about these five rings of insight. You don't actually have to buy her book, although I, it really does work well. We've even had extra training from her where you just try to find out these five insights about your customer as it relates to your solving a problem that your product or service can solve. And we've maybe do a 20 or 30 minute interview with one of their customers. And We we probe for those things and we come back to the client and they usually say one of two things, if not both. They'll say, wow, you really understand our clients. I mean, I tell them just like I told you, that's that's what we're doing. These five insights. And then several of them will say, man, I forgot about how much goes on in our customers world before they come to us. And if you're able to talk about some of those bigger issues that they have, you really move to the front of the class in in their mind. But yet, you know, and it's the same with sales. A lot of salespeople want to talk about what they're comfortable talking about, which is their product or service. So
0: to, to your point on this, I think it's funny because I, the reason why I've been able to parachute into marketing is because I've... I've had all these realizations just as a networker inside of a room. And nowadays, marketing can kind of work like networking. And one of these things that you understand when you're networking that at first you don't understand when you're a 25-year-old guy spreading business cards all over everyone's face is that the most interesting person is the most interested person in the room, right? Like That's one of these like fundamental truths that you hear about in all these personal development books. Yet we have this hard time applying it in marketing. And I love that you it's brought so, up- It's so easy yeah.
1: to say and so hard to do. And it rings to mind a quote from Craig Davis, who was the creative director at one of the ad agencies I worked in New York, J. Walter Thompson. And he said, instead of interrupting what people are interested in, we have to be interesting. It's so true. In other words, you you really can't interrupt. It's It's really difficult to interrupt your way into the attention and people don't really- believe or trust uh, advertising, not to say that advertising doesn't work well in certain instances. It's just not the 800 pound gorilla that it used to be back in the, my good old day madman days. Yeah. And so you know, what he says is we have to be what people are interested in. Ah. So instead of interrupting what people are interested in, you now have to be what people are interested in mm-hmm. and how will people be interested? <laughs> if you show an interest in them and an understanding of what their uh, challenges might be, particularly as it relates to, to 2
0: b Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in, Connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome.
1: That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. We did a a project for a client uh, years ago where they were... They wanted to go into, they were actually a Navy contractor, but they wanted to go into the private sector and they wanted to do cybersecurity because they did cybersecurity for the submarine force, U.S. Navy, and they were trying to diversify into the private sector, which is usually really difficult for defense firms because it's just such a different sale and it's very different culturally. But what we did is we went and interviewed these chief information security officers, healthcare organizations, and they said, no, I don't want to know about how you do cybersecurity? I, you know, I already know all that. <laughs> I, I know that these are my big issues, and one of them was trying to help the other departments understand that if you keep purchasing these internet-connected medical devices, you're really at risk of being hacked. And the other big problem they all talked about was how can I get my boards of directors on board? Well, so we started producing content about that, and they were the it was the only client, uh, only customer talking about that. Only client talking about that sort of thing in that in that sector. So that's an example of we were steering them towards talk about what this person is uh, worried about. They'll then they'll talk to you. They'll like, wow, yeah, give me some more information. Can can I talk to you guys? You you seem to understand me. So that's just an, an example. I think it's an awesome awesome example. We have our first question,
0: and it's from E. Mathis and he asks, "Is your wife enjoying the Ferrari?"
1: Is my wife enjoying the Ferrari? Yeah,
0: you said it was a five thousand dollar payment. We have to assume it's got to be some kind of Italian sports oh, car. Right? Ferrari.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, given no, my wife, I'm thinking, wait a minute, did what, what is she doing now? I don't have my phone here. Um, I got so, you. Uh, you know yeah, what, no, what the, so it yeah. Sorry, it it I, ended I, up being I, a BMW, but uh, she doesn't even have that anymore. So. Uh, no big deal. Um, you know it very funny though, very funny though. Yeah, he's and he's I know a funny. funny. I'm a clownfish. <laughs> Um,
0: You know, as you're talking about this, right, this whole idea of being interested in people, it reminds me a lot of Robin's book of The Code of Trust, of kind of like these pillars of building trust. One of them is figuring out how to validate what people believe in that you can align with, right? Like, and you can't really do that unless you're listening, which is one of the things that you talked about of people forget that the more you understand your customers, the more successful you will be. And you brought up Buyer Personas, which is the book that I'm reading right now because you talk oh, about it all the time on your podcast, right? I'm about like three quarters of the way in there. Can you talk a little bit more about how you listen to customers and what the best way of doing that? Is it reaching out for these interviews? Are there other methods that you've seen outside of reading Buyer Personas? Well,
1: yes. And actually, what's interesting in that book is that when you are when you first start one of these interviews, there's only one scripted question. After that, you've just got to let them talk. You but you're trying to figure out these five different insights. Okay, that's one. But another one, it just comes up over and over again. First off, don't rely on what your salespeople will tell you. Listen to it. It's usually very, very helpful information, but they're very busy and they're trying to close sales today, right? So you need to go talk to these customers and you're not going to them to ask, well, what should we do? (laughs) You know, that's the joke about Henry Ford saying, if I'd listened to them, they would have asked for a faster horse, which apparently he never said, but, uh, you know, a lot of marketing book authors talk about that. But uh, Henry Ford and Steve Jobs both understood what people's frustrations were. Okay. So what you're trying to do is then there was a whole whole book uh, written by Roger Dooley called Friction, which is basically if you just go and find the friction in the life of your customers. As it relates to trying to buy from you, uh, being a customer of yours, you'll start to to realize what some of the some of the problems are. You know, it kind of reminds me of the expression of, a lot of this is about how easy are you making it for people to buy from you and to do mm-hmm. business with you. Most companies aren't sensitive to that, so if you just if you talk to them, find out, you know, it sounds simple, but companies are so busy and they don't. They don't want to talk to their their people, but there was a another book called uh, Roadmap to Revenue by Kristen Zhivago, great book on the podcast a few years ago, and I loved it. And she talked about how you know this is how you go about building revenue for a company. And the linchpin of the entire book is you have to go talk to your customers. <laughs> and she even concludes in there, these are the kinds of things you need to ask about so you're not wasting a lot of time. There was also, I, I keep talking about these books, but there's been hundreds. And there's another book that's been on twice, actually, first and second edition called From Impossible to Inevitable by Aaron Ross and Jason Lemkin. And no theory, they show like the seven things that fast growth companies do that they nail. And, you know, they walk you through that. And these guys are in Silicon Valley. They've, uh, you know, been investors and they're saying, look, this is, this is what works and in, in that book, they talk about how, they don't talk, they write, that you you need to go talk to 20 customers, just 20 customers. And I just read another book a week or so ago about, you know, you, you should go talk to 50 customers. But if you talk to five or 10, you're already doing more than, than most people are. So it, it's, just, it's, it's almost like cheating. When you go talk to these customers in an open-ended conversation and find out, About some of the things that, like, is in Buyer Personas or several of the other books where you find out more about what their life is and what their frustrations are. Some of those you might not be able to help with, but you can start to better understand. Just like that example I gave you of the healthcare cybersecurity people, that's what they were really uh, concerned about, but nobody bothered to ask them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you wonder why. Companies are out there feeling like marketing spend isn't worth it or it's not working right it's because they're having this fundamental piece wrong but if you can exactly if you can get to this point where they understand that it's not just about promotion it's about listening you can teach them how to listen and then now it's time to go communicate it brings us to esau's actual real question was is how do you effectively communicate to potential clients that you are what they are interested in right like how do you come across in that way? without just being marketing, you know,
1: annoying at scale,
0: right? Like how, how are you effectively communicating this stuff? What is,
1: can, do you have like lead, four or five more customer, on that? Lead with <laughs> the customer's problem. Mm. And, and I saw mentioned here, a job to be done. Great, great example from the, the Clayton Christensen book. So, you know, make it all about them. And I know th- these answers are really pretty short and easy to say, but it's really Uh, difficult to get out of yourself and, and put yourself in the shoes of the customer. It's so difficult, but it can be done. And the story is, and I've read this a number of places, that even at Amazon, there's a challenge trying to stay focused on the customer. And Jeff Bezos, allegedly, when he goes into a conference room for a meeting, he wants at least one chair empty. And that ends up, representing the customer and what i've heard is that invariably he ends up pointing at the chair because somebody has forgotten about the customer and he goes no that's not what she wants we know that this is what she wants remember (laughs) then apparently as people are getting ready for a meeting with the boss man or they'll say oh you know what shoot he's going to point at that damn chair again oh the customer god i completely forgot about that we were all excited about, you know, what we were doing, but we forgot about the customer. So it really does kind of need to come from the top.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. So I'm not keeping exact track, but I think you've mentioned like at least nine books so far. Very, very impressive. The 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 Library of Alexandria inside of your brain. I got to ask you, man, when I started asking you about your podcast, and by the way, I would love. They're all, hero, they're all right your, your, here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I recently alphabetized them. Really? By by author last name. Yeah. I've even got Robin drinks. Oh, look at that. Uh, right up there in the Ds. Actually, I'm not that anal retentive, but I want to be, but right. I had to finally, because like, <sighs> what what the uh, the audience doesn't know is that getting ready for this, <laughs> I finally had the crown molding installed. I just had yeah. it painted. The, today's the first day back in here. So it's like a, a new life, you know? And, I was wasting so much time going through the books that have been on the show. I couldn't find them. So it's like, all right, Douglas, you need to take like an hour, get these things organized so I can run back and find the ones that I need. So, so if there's any questions from the audience, I I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. 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 I
0: was going to, I was going to incentivize the audience. To, not incentivize. Right. I'm not going to like, yeah. Buy. Oh yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll send you a $5 Amazon gift card for my favorite, <laughs> favorite question. Well, you know, the
1: thing is, yeah, you give it, I give the impression that I have all this uh, memory, but there are people say, "Oh, you're learning something." And the, the reason I keep one of the reasons I keep doing this is that I'll read a, I'll have a book on the show that I'm somewhat familiar with, and I'll still learn something that I'm almost embarrassed I didn't know. So it's like a head smacking, like Douglas, you moron! How did you not know that? You've read hundreds of books, and maybe it's been in some other books, but you know I'm a slow learner. And so I'm always learning something uh, new, and for almost every book, there's some big takeaway that I just I got so much out of and that's why you know I'm so uh impressed by these people that write the books and it's like it's like spending a day or two with an author who is sharing with you just really valuable hard learned information I mean, not to keep talking about Robin Drake, but he's on the call. <laughs> He was dealing with Soviet spies as an FBI agent. You know? <laughs> and it's sort of like, but he's sharing you know, what, what he learned about how to size, how to size people up. So it's, I just get so much out of the reading the books. And it probably comes through. The authors enjoy it because often I'm the only person that interviews them who actually had time to read the book. And I'm just asking them things that kind of surprised me or that I think you know, the audience would find helpful.
0: I would love to get into that. And I'm going to bring Anthony Collard on in a second because he's got a question. I'm going to bring him on to ask you. But first, what is your, you show up to these, Anthony, let me know in the chat that you're ready so I don't bring you on screen and you're like in the
1: bathroom or something like that. But what, what is, or do, or or do, who knows? Hey, you know, it's live people.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, how do you approach note-taking in a book, right? Like you show, up to these, you show up to these interviews. I see that you have like an awesome framework. You always start out with a quote kind of from the intro, and then you pull out different pieces. Can you give us a little peek behind the curtain of how you prepare to intro someone based on this body of work from them?
1: Well, what I do is I have to have a hard copy of the book to read in part because my brain absorbs it better than looking at a screen. You know, I think when you, I'm sure there's some studies that when you're reading on a screen, you tend to scan more. Mm -hmm. So I read the book and I also uh, marked the book up like, Ooh, I'll make little notes like E next to something, meaning ask the author to explain this, you know, or more often than not, I'm writing jokes in the column that I could tell during the interview. You know, we all have issues. And so, I read the entire book, and then the day of the interview, uh, at least an hour beforehand, I then flip through and see what I marked up, and then s- start to think about you know some of the key things I want to ask them about. And then what I do, this is really getting into the weeds, but I put on my headset. I turn on Google Doc. for I, I take the script from the week before copy it and then change the name to whatever the today's author is and remove all the old questions from last week. And then as I, I, then I go through and I, I dictate the questions I want to ask the sections. And I'll always say which page so I can flip to it during the interview. And then there are certain things. And then I, and then I put in uh, what their, you know, their bio is, which I can usually get off of Amazon or their website. And, I get on with them and they, uh, they, they, they record the introduction that you often hear at the beginning where they say, this is Robin Drake, author of Sizing People Up. I'm here against my will. And you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. And then I start recording the intro and uh, I've already identified some questions. You know, one of the little tricks is the questions that I ask. When an author uses the words, this book, that's usually something i might want to quote because i want the listener to know kind of that's what the book's all about they'll say this book in this book i'm thinking oh well that would be helpful you know so i'll quote from that kind of kind of gives you a sample of what the book's about and then um kind of walk through some of the some of the key points and then i have uh, four questions i always ask at the end so that's kind of kind of how i do that and then i at at my leisure, at some point later, I'll, I'll edit it together. And I used to have somebody else edit it. <laughs> but then I found out that some of the top podcasters edit their own shows because it makes you a better interviewer. So mm-hmm. uh, makes I do a lot that. Of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's that, kind of how I do it.
0: Yeah. That feeds my podcaster nerd hat of like figuring out how you prep. Surprisingly enough, it's not too unsimilar from how I prep, except I don't have the same amount of reading capacity as you do. But Anthony Collar is going to come on. He's got a much more universal question for you. I'm sure that you get asked this all the time. Anthony, you ready, buddy? Is it
1: what do women want? (laughs) You're going to have to ask. I don't know. Anthony, where are you?
2: I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah. So thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Thanks for having me on. my, My question is, like Pablo said, it's kind of a meta question. And you mentioned that you're getting so much information from reading all these books and being in these authors' heads, but you also run a marketing agency and you know a lot of us have day-to-day roles. And so my question was, how do you take all of the information that you learn and implement it? How do you prioritize from all of the information, some of it which can be conflicting at times, and you decide, this is what I need at this point in my marketing mix.
1: That's a great question. And of course, I have to start with a joke because back when we had an office, I had an office, a really cool office where we would you know work. And then this lockdown started and it started collecting dust and I finally had to let the lease go. And we could have gone virtual a long time ago. We probably should have. But the joke was that I would come walking in. On, I'd walk in on Monday morning and I would say, all right, listen up. Everything we've been doing, it's all going to stop. Okay. And I would pick up the book and I'd say, from now on, we're doing what's in this book. <laughs> it was sort of like the Management by In-Flight Magazine, the latest idea I had. And they would say, oh, that's great, Douglas. Yeah, that's 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 really good. Um, <clears throat> so they were able to kind of filter it out much like my uh, wife does. And so um, the, it is a bit like reading all these books. It's, you know, I like ideas and I, I get a lot of them and it is a bit like drinking a fi- from a fire hose. And I, uh, I I'll take some notes of some things that maybe we should be doing or a particular client should be uh, considering. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of ideas I haven't used. I mean, it is uh, it's like, there's a lot of food that goes to waste, but Um, There are, what happens is I'll see the idea a couple of times and then I'll start to realize, oh yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they're onto something. Maybe we should do that. So it's, uh, you know, it's not ideal that I don't use uh, all the ideas, but also something will come up as I'm reading a book and I'll say, oh, that's perfect. Let's do that. It's funny how, like, before I give a presentation, I'll remember like the last 25 books. And, you know, not think about some of the ones from, so I can, I can look at presentations I've given over the years and I can tell just about when that was done, because those were some of the more recent books that I had, I had read. So as far as, you know, the day job, I read the books on my own time. So maybe a couple hours on Saturday, Sunday, a few hours, and then a couple mornings a week when I'm not working out Tuesday or Thursday, I'll, I'll get up and. And, and get through it. And, you know, I try and just steal a chapter here and there. And then I, Fridays when I do the interview, which the authors seem to like better. It's also the day the episode publishes. So, is that helpful? What What else uh, were you wondering about? No, that
2: that's very helpful. I mean, it's just being in this role, you get just a ton of information thrown at you, and then you have to make decisions as to what do I prioritize at this moment. And you know, I just attended Inbound Conference, for example, a couple of weeks ago. And there, in had Boston, couple, Boston? No, it was not in person. Unfortunately, it was virtual this time. It was Inbound yeah. Conference, yeah. And now, I've, been to, I, I've, I've been
1: to a lot of those in person. Yeah. And I saw that it was happening. And I actually, I did attend. Tried to attend something for the partners. We use HubSpot, so. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that's why I was wondering and yeah, thank you for answering that. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for contributing, Anthony. Thanks for showing up, man. I'm going to put you back in the audience when I get a second here. Douglas, maybe maybe there's another way to ask something that may add value to to what he is what Anthony is saying. Has there been anything that you took from a book that you implemented? And if there has been, how did you approach implementing it? Like do do you do you come to your team with you know, I, I find it really hard to just be like, everybody read this book and let's do it. Right. Like, is there is there kind of any any way that you've presented something that worked that that helped lubricate implementing one of these ideas?
1: Well, occasionally I will get buy, I'll buy an extra book to give to like my content director or something, somebody that I think would be helpful to give to a client. It usually comes up when there's a a problem and I'll say, ah, let's, let's, let's try that. Uh, You know, here's something. So I'm able to be helpful and add some value to the work that's being done, but I, you know, not to keep going back to Adele Ravella's book, but she did say she loves me. So that's a a perfect example where I've seen it uh, really work well, or, or let me give you another example. I'll read a book. And like, you know, I'm a big Marcus Sheridan fan. He wrote They Ask You Answer and the visual sale. And in the second edition of They Ask You Answer, he talked about some of the struggles they had as an agency by providing doing all the work for a client, kind of leading at the loading dock, which I sometimes talk about. And he said, We're we're not gonna we're not gonna do that anymore. We're gonna start you know, trying to show the clients how to do their own handle much more of their own marketing that they could do, and it would actually be better for them. And that's an example where I said, "Oh, I'm not taking crazy bill. I'm not the only one that's felt this way." And that's why sometimes I get even more excited during an interview because, like, I'll, I'll read a book and I'll think, "Oh, I'm not the only one struggling with that." And I'll give you a perfect example was uh, Grant Lieboff's book, "Myths of Marketing," one of my favorites. He tackled about twenty five myths. And they were all really good, and I'm just thinking, yes, yes, thank you. It turned into kind of a support group. So, it, it usually comes up when there's a a problem, or I see a better way of doing something. I'll give another example. There was a book. There's a book called the Content Fuel Framework. Oh no, she's going to kill me. Um, by Melanie Diesel. Hang on, I'll bring up the name of it. Oh no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs>
0: All right. If you are listening to this in your headset later on down the path on the podcast, Douglas just went to the back of his room to look at his library that has all his books, and he's picking one out. So, not great for uh, podcast
1: listenership, but very entertaining for the but show. But I do. I have a nice business shirt on and Bermuda shorts, so and sandals. Uh, her book is the Content Fuel Framework. So, and I I should be careful. I say, you know, it's a great book. It's a great book. Yeah. Well, I get to pick which books are on my podcast, so I'm usually pretty excited about them. Yeah. But hers is a great way. Uh, hers book was really interesting in terms of almost setting up like a multiplication table of all the different types of content you could be using. So it's not just blog posts. It could be a hundred things. Mm. And it was, I love the way she did it. And sure enough, we were doing some annual planning for a client. Got on the whiteboard, which we don't have anymore, <laughs> and uh, started doing what what she had in her book, and it was a lot of fun, and it really really worked well. So I'll see these things in the books, and I'm thinking, oh man, I am stealing that. I'm either going to steal it and use it in a presentation, or I'm stealing it because uh, you know, it's going to work. It's going to work for better for us than than what I I uh, was currently doing.
0: Totally, totally. And as I promote Lauren to uh, panelist here, so she can ask her question you know, you bring up a yeah. good point that is because you get to reach out to these authors, you now have access to bring them on for a workshop, right? You mentioned that, that Adele came in and did a workshop for your team or did a workshop for your clients. Have you ever kind of like leveraged that relationship to, to do kind of like a co-branding of having a workshop and presenting it to either a client or a team, something like that?
1: No, I haven't. I, that's a, that's a, a, a good idea, but I've, you know, I've, I've, uh, gotten training from Adele. I mean, we pay for this, but we, I got training from her. I got I got training from Marcus, and then I've been invited to some conferences and things that where these authors are speaking. Like I'll be their guest, and and I get to to watch that. So yeah, that's a that's a great idea. See, I'm getting all the value here, people. I'm getting all the ideas from from Pablo.
0: You're getting value. Robin Drake is getting value because we don't shut up. Somebody mm. buy his book right now. And uh, Lauren, let's see if you get some value. Why don't you come on Lauren and uh, ask us a question?
3: Oh.
1: Hey there. Hi. How are you? Good. Where are you? Uh Cincinnati. Oh, go Bengals. Yeah, that's right. Exactly.
3: <laughs> I have How's a I have
1: a one of my one of my best friends is from Cincinnati. He's a Bengals fan. Not that you'd know it by looking at the gas tank on his motorcycle or all the Bengals stuff in his house. So I'm that's always right. up with what, what they're up to.
3: We're yeah. diehard fans. We're doing really well. We're leading the AFC, so go Bengals. So and the question—they beat I, the
1: Ravens, I think.
3: Yeah. Oh, they sure yeah. did, 41 forty-one seventeen.
0: Lauren, that was—that's uh, what that guy at the conference asked about. If you ever beat the Ravens, there you go, buddy.
3: No, it was the Steelers. Remember? The Steelers. Oh my gosh,
0: that was But they beat guy. the
1: Steelers this year too.
3: They sure have. Good,
1: good.
3: Actually, so Douglas wanted to ask: with all the noise going on, and like you said, all this Mark Tech just absolutely dominating right now. What would you say are some of the best companies that have? Learn how to speak to their customers effectively. That they're listening and speaking to them, and really standing out among the crowd.
1: Well, I always think that uh, HubSpot has done a good job of that. They are just one of the very, very best at producing content that their various personas understand. And uh, I've learned a lot from them. I'm, you know, like we use their product. We've you know use all their their academy stuff. So that's that's a good example. I'm trying to think of Bong others. Gong seems you know, to come I, up I, a lot
0: when people are when people are asked about that? that. Gong seems seems to come up a lot when people are asked about that stuff. And I also feel like Bomb Bomb is doing a really really good job these uh-huh. days of kind of pioneering that thing. Any thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, and actually I've had the Ethan Butte on the show twice now. He's from Bomb Bomb, and they and you know they they're they're doing a great job. They have a real service oriented approach to their content. Um, that's good gosh there's so many great ones i'm just trying to think i use feedly which is an rss reader which makes you know finding what you want much more easy to you know access and i'm trying to think of the the companies <laughs> i follow their blogs just because they i find them helpful there're a number of authors obviously who are doing a good a good job of that i'm just thinking one of the best ways uh, to answer that question are the people that I'm, I'm always seeing examples of in books on content marketing, (laughs) you know, I don't know. You can almost look at their sales, but if they're, if they're doing a good job with their content, their people are usually uh, talking about it. I'm sorry, I don't have a better, a better answer there, but there's, there are a lot of companies that are really doing a great job uh, with the content. What, what industry are you in?
3: Uh, coaching. I coach specific, uh, the mindset of
1: athletes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, you know, but the, the truth is that they're more rare, these companies that are doing a good job with their, with their uh, content, because there's this sort of gravitational pull or, or urge to want to talk about yourself. And it's always okay to talk about yourself, but make sure they're not going to be interested if you don't, uh, talk about them first and what their what their issues are.
0: Yeah, Lauren, I was going to kind of flip it back on you, right? Because I think at the end of the day, the lesson learned is what we were trying to learn is what is a good way of doing this, right? So mm-hmm. you as a consumer, mm-hmm. right? Like there, a lot of what people are talking about is that B two B is following B two C, right? Because it's becoming a lot easier. So you as a consumer. Maybe as a coach, maybe as an athlete, as a mother, as a football fan, whatever, do you find that, what kind of brands do you find that are doing a good job at listening to you and the stuff that you consume?
3: That's a great question. What really kind of stood out to me before is at the beginning of the conversation is humanizing it, right? Those who show a little bit more of vulnerability or at least the the non-tech automated kind of marketing or kind of connection there's, to, to be honest, I mean, there's not a brand that sticks out to me right now in terms of one that I purchase. I think it's more about just connecting. I mean, the whole premise of this whole thing is connecting on a human level and just yes. being human and showing that you can be vulnerable, that nothing is perfect. And, you know, the way to get through this is together.
1: Absolutely. And let me make a suggestion of a an email newsletter that you should subscribe to if you don't already. Anne Handley. Okay. She is the author of every Everybody Writes. She was one of the very first authors I interviewed, and I'm a big fanboy. And she has this... Go to annhanley.com and subscribe to her newsletter. Every other Sunday, it comes out, and I really feel like she's talking to me. Now, obviously, I'm a fanboy, but it's like, yeah, she gets me. She understands me. It's funny. She's, I mean, she's a phenomenal writer. That is one of the best email newsletters and i've interviewed her so i interviewed her about that book and then i last year during the pandemic my way of adjusting to lockdown was to do a special series called authors in quarantine getting cocktails and i jerry seinfeld didn't seem to mind because i ripped off his mm-hmm. comedians and cars getting coffee but i went back and interviewed a bunch of these authors i got through 66 so i would do one a day at the cocktail hour I got through 66 episodes and then my liver needed a break, but she was actually the last one. And I can remember seeing a keynote she gave at a uh, content marketing world in uh, Cleveland one year, and it was a keynote on newsletters. Nobody does keynotes on newsletters. And she was saying, it's actually a secret weapon, but you have to be human. And, uh, uh, I, I bet that keynote is available online at, at the Content Marketing Institute, but it was so good. And she gave example after example of these companies that have a really human approach in their newsletters. And actually after that keynote, I told her about this one client we have where we've actually been doing that. So again, it was like, oh, we've actually been doing this right. We have this one client that's a, economic development authority for this municipality in uh, north carolina and the guy's name is larry larry lombardi he's related to vince lombardi go packers and uh what he's a real character and uh loves his job and he's really doing well and he's a real no bs kind of guy and you know we talked to him every week and we started doing these newsletters kind of in in his voice and he you know he obviously approves them and saw ideas we're getting from him but we write them, and I told her about that, and, and she then followed up. I think she's even, she's even written about these newsletters just because we were following her advice, and it's a really good – the website is thinkcuratuck.com if, if people want to go find the archive of these newsletters, and they're just – it's growing like crazy, and all these people respond to the newsletters saying, oh, Larry, that's so funny. I agree completely. That is so great to hear, but it's, it's just real human. And what's funny is he's got a lot of competition. There's 99 other counties in North Carolina and many in Virginia. He went to a function recently in the commercial real estate industry and all the other commercial economic development guys were coming up saying, Larry, you're the man, you're producing the best stuff. And he's like, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Why don't they do it? I don't know. They can't seem to be uh human. So, but I would suggest you find Anne's newsletter, one of the very, very best newsletters. And, and she talks about marketing things too. So, but it's really great at being human. And then there were other books by Mark Schaefer and Philip Kotler, the father of modern marketing, who's 90 years old. And he's writing books about how in this digital age to be human. You actually have to show more vulnerability mm-hmm. to compensate for the fact that you know we're we're in, we're in the digital and it can seem sort of impersonal. But actually, if you show vulnerability or say, "Look, our product is not for you," if the the trust goes way up. Mm-hmm. So we've gone off a little bit from talking about the the examples of really great writing, but that's one. You know, you talk, Pablo, about the you know the personal things that work really well. And my wife is a horse, you know, person, a, a competitive equestrian. Oh, I thought she was like a centaur um, for a second. No, no. Cause they wouldn't be able to fit into those cars, but <laughs> she, you know, she has these dressage horses and it's a real, the struggle's real. Anyway, the, the problem with this is that she, I don't think she is always looking for something online, you know, like any kind of hobbyist or whatever. And so she wants to know like how to fit the saddle better. Apparently that's an issue buying the wrong size saddle or the, the horse is sick or injured or how to compete better and win at the next level up. And there are certain companies that are obviously want to reach someone like her and they are producing information that answers those kinds of questions. Okay. Now clearly they've got information on saddles or feed or, whatever else is she's spending all this money on. The problem is it works because I can see it on the credit card statement. She's buying from these companies, you know, and she's finding them through search or somebody sharing something on social media, but they're really zeroed in on helping her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Helping people. So.
3: Yeah. Lauren, can you say something? Oh no, that was excellent. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, cool. We're
0: going to put you back in the in the crowd. Thanks Lauren. Thanks for coming on. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Douglas, as we wrap up here, and I want to, if anybody and as a
1: military veteran, uh, Lauren, I appreciate that camo shirt you're wearing.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> I almost didn't see you.
0: <laughs> Good thing you got that military Sorry. eye. Yeah. Um, Roger that. Yeah, as as we wrap up, we've talking, we've been talking a lot about being human. We've been talking a lot about being vulnerable. You know, and and when we started, when I first reached out to you, I was like Douglas, I'd love to have you on and talk about community, and you're like community, I don't really. That's not really my thing. I don't know that much about it. But then when we hopped on a call, you rattled off. Like Yeah, yeah. You had this like imposter syndrome about it, right? But
1: oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel that's like a big you, part of my life, is my imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that makes you really human, by the way. <sighs> Can you just maybe touch on some of the stuff, right? Like you're you're the first guy. I've used that Harley example with everybody and it blows their minds. You're the first guy to ever bring that up to me as, as something. And then just kind of what your thoughts are on this movement of community and kind of like books to go to for that. Maybe we can end on that.
1: The Harley guy?
0: Yeah. This is how the, how hog it has, has effectively created this community. Uh, I think it was the, you brought the example from not Jeff Julian from Jono, Jono John Bacon. Oh, Jono
1: Bacon. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, his book <laughs> Uh, I I really liked it. And, and it's, his book is all about how to build community. And he is one of the biggest experts on that. He's in Silicon Valley and he's worked for all these software companies, but his book is called People Powered. And it was really, really good about how to build community. And that's an example of a book as I now get into the 300 something books. I'm now starting to look for books that are a subject area that I haven't had a book on about. Kind of round out my my education, but also <laughs> the reason why is people message me every day on LinkedIn saying, "What's a book I can read about this or that?" And I'm like, "Ah, I haven't had one about that." And then I'm, I'm soon I'm able to send them a link to the interview, and they can see if the book might be helpful. So the Harley owner group is a great example where <clears throat> of them doing everything right, of of Harley doing everything right. And building community, there's some fine lines about building community, and he talked about it in his book about how if you build a community, like for your your brand or your your yeah for your brand, let's say these people don't work for you, and they are not your sales force, and they can smell that in a second, and so you really have to you have to be honest about it. You. <laughs> don't use these people or you, there's the quick and the dead, you know, you're, you're, you'll, you'll be on the outs. And he's in his book, he talks about all these companies that that did it wrong, you know, where they, they just didn't understand what, what was important. It, it also, you know, one of the things that I recall from that book is that when you build a community, the more that you can understand the transformation that people are seeking to make, the more successful you'll be. Okay. So they're not joining a community to be, to buy your product or service, there are other more um, emotional reasons why they're doing that. If you can tap into that and understand what they really want to accomplish, um, you'll be more successful. A lot of people want to be with other like-minded people. They like community. They like fellowship. Um, probably even more so now that we're all behind Zoom screens. So that was a, a you know, a, a good example. Um, so, but I, otherwise. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't think I myself as an expert because I talk to the experts. <laughs> so I have to be very careful, you know, to quote their books and, 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 and defer to that. So is that. Yeah. 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 That's great, answer it. Okay. Yeah,
0: absolutely, man. I thought, I thought you phrased that really, really well. got a great speaking point out of that one for sure. As far as the value of community. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Listen, man, yeah. I think if you're guilty, I should be
1: careful what I say, because I, I now I'm reminded you're actually going to use some of this. And, I'm going to uh, use all, all of this stuff. Oh man. Um, uh, hopefully, people found it uh, helpful.
0: Yeah, ton of a ton of people here here in the comments. People saying great show, great episode. Got to jump off. That you know, like a, lo- a lot of valuable feedback here. Listen, I I really want to thank you for coming on. I do see you. I, I think if you're guilty enough, guilty by association with enough enough experts and enough geniuses, yeah, it's it's hard not to become one yourself, man. And I see a real. You're you're like the modern day Cliffs notes, right? Like if I need to get like a the cheat code on a book, I go to your podcast and I listen to it first and then I go buy a book. And I and that has become really, really valuable to me in my life. Not to mention just that you're a funny guy, you're a cool guy. I really appreciate you hanging out, man. And I'm hope I hope that we Stop can it. grow the relationship from here. <laughs> right. And and, and yeah. I and I really oh, oh, so Muhammad Allah has a question here. What's the full name of Ann? Are you talking about the is that everybody? Oh, Ann
1: Hanley. Ann Handley. And Ann Handley. And I think it's anhandley.com. Well, let me just uh mention a couple of things. One is I years ago I interviewed David C. Baker about his excellent book, The Business of Expertise. And that guy is a member of Mensa, which are the highest IQ people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I, I mentioned that at the beginning of the interview, which, you know, he was like, Oh God, yeah, don't mention that. And I said, No, no, seriously. When you go into a room, of 100 people, you were very likely the smartest guy in the room. And I just got to say, I have never felt that way in my life. (laughs) I just think, oh, it seems like I've always worked with a lot of really smart people, but I never felt like I was the smartest guy in the room, which is why I'm so comfortable asking stupid questions. But the fact that you said that you listened to this first, it's funny, a couple of years ago, I started hearing that from people saying, I'm not, I might buy the book if it's on your show, you know, but it, people need to listen to the interview first. And then it's like, Oh my goodness. Now I got this pressure. I really need to, I need to, I've actually started spending even more time kind of vetting the books. Cause now I hear from listeners saying that book wasn't that good. And I've actually a year ago, I heard somebody say that. And I was like, yeah, they're right. It wasn't that good, but it was a friend of mine. And I had been after him for years to finish his book and he wrote the book. And, Great interview, but it wasn't as good. So it's like when I started the podcast, I didn't think there'd be 52 marketing books. And there are evidently. There's more than 52. And I get books every week now. And it breaks my heart that I sometimes have to say no to an author. But you know maybe there's another podcast they can go on. But what I wanted to say was one of the f- most fun things I get to do uh, is, is hear from listeners on LinkedIn. They connect with me on LinkedIn and they usually send in, like, I, I heard you on Pablo's show or I... I listen to your podcast because then I know that they're not a filthy spammer. And then they'll say, hey, uh, what's a book I can read about this or that? I mean, every day I get those things. and It doesn't take much time. And it really makes me happy to know that I can keep Pablo from having to read 370 books to find the one or two that's going to help right now. So if we haven't connected on LinkedIn, please do that. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to point you to any books or resources, even books that haven't been on the show, if I can help save you time and you know, and, and hear from folks. So if I can help, please let me know. That's kind of the fun thing I get to do.
0: I appreciate it, Douglas. And I'll add in there that if you leave a review for his podcast, he'll send you some uh, bookmarks and stickers as well. Oh, yeah. That is, yeah. That is what they yeah. say. So I, I could not recommend your podcast anymore. I think it's phenomenal. Connect with Douglas on LinkedIn. Clearly likes to help. Asking for book recommendations, his his brain should be a. Oh, look at that!
1: Look at that! I'll mail that it to sense. you.
0: <laughs> Did I send but, you some of these? You know, you asked me for my address and I forgot to respond, but I'm about to because I want that. I want to put that on my water. I'm 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 a water bottle, so we'll we'll, oh, okay. we'll make that happen.
1: Because I can but, go to my homeboy, Robin Drake, and he can just tell me your address because he knows all the guys in the FBI. So you know, um, <laughs> He'll just chat now and figure me out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if he's still on here. No, nah, he had, he had
0: to. to go. He had to go. He had to go. <laughs> Douglas, I appreciate you so much, man. I want to get you going. I know we had said that this had only been hours. So if you got to log off, log off. I'm going to stick on here and just kind of thank everybody personally
1: for everybody that showed sure. up here. And really appreciate this. Let me know. Yeah. Connect no, with no, this is, this is the only thing keeping me from the cocktail hour and, you know. That lasts a long time here. No, I'm kidding.
0: All right, go go wet your beak. Oh,
1: andhanley.com. Good, Pablo. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I got fingers I can
0: type here. Yeah. So, all right. Well, appreciate you, man. David Hernandez, I appreciate you showing up. Holly Hurd, thank you for showing. Isar, my business partner, thank you for the support, brother. Katie Brosh, thank you for coming as well. Lauren Ammon, who's been consistently showing up to these calls and adding value. Thank you so much, Lauren. Muhammad Allah, thank you for coming on. And being a part of this. This is what I deem as the internet talk show. Everything that we talked about today, right? Listening to your clients, creating content, being helpful. I think that you can execute it all in this one framework right now. If you take a little time to connect with the right people, promote it and bring people on board. So Douglas, thanks for being part of this ongoing thing. And I hope to talk to you soon, man.
1: Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Take care. man. Take care. Have a good one. All right. That's a wrap. I hope
0: you enjoyed that conversation and you got a bunch of value out of it. And if you did, it would mean the world to me. If you reached out to our guest and let them know what you learned, what you thought about it, everything that you need to connect with them is going to be in the show notes. And on top of that, Why don't you double up and reach out to me? I'd love to hear from you. It really is why I do this, is so that I can meet awesome people. I would love to hear from anybody that you think should be on this podcast, including yourself, about how you build world-class relationships, how you create community, how you lead companies in this relationships over transactions methodology. And if you believe in that stuff, that is what we're doing at my company, Be The Stage. You can check it out at bethestage.live. But the Cliff Notes version is, we've learned that most companies know that they need to be making content and they know that they really want to drive a community. But where do you start with that stuff? The best way to start doing that is to create an internet talk show because it allows you to create a strategic relationship with a guest one-to-one while you create strategic relationships with the audience one to few and then when we repurpose the show for you and spread it out all over social media you're creating relationships one to many it is the ultimate relationship driven growth engine to feed your entire pipeline marketing team and customer success what companies call their go-to market strategy can now be driven by community if you're interested in that go to bethestage.live check it out reach out to me I would love to create an internet talk show just for you. Now, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to take a play out of the book of one of my heroes, Christopher Lockhead, the godfather of category design, co-author of my favorite business book, Play Bigger, and my favorite newsletter, Category Pirates, which I'm going to link in the show notes because I think you should subscribe. It's the smartest thing basically in the world. Anyways, at the end of his podcast, which is Follow Your Different, he always shouts out and gives a roll call to people that he thanks. And I want to do that, too. I want to thank my team at Be The Stage. I want to thank JP, who is the editor of this content, the guy that makes all the cool micro content and makes everything look cool. Joanna, who distributes a lot of the stuff. She writes a lot of the descriptions. Nicola, who is... Uh, my buddy that I've been mentoring for a couple of years out of Bulgaria, a really bright 15-year-old kid that writes a lot of the captions on social media. Marge, who is always keeping track of everything. She is the executive assistant of the dreams that all come true. Gina, who is a world-class integrator. She is our COO. She is the one that is just making all the processes happen. Whenever I say something, she designs a way to make it happen. It's incredible. My business partner, Isar, who with Without him, none of this stuff could be possible. That guy is the best. He's got an awesome podcast. It's called The Business Growth Accelerator. You should totally check that out. I want to thank my parents. They're my inspiration. They're the best. My family. I love them to pieces. My wife, Marta, who is my muse and my inspiration for everything. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, go do it now. But before you do that, if you haven't checked out either episode 7 or episode 69, those are my 2019 and 2020 last call tracks where I give this like rapping, talking, motivational speech over like a really cool beat. It's actually the beat that I have on this podcast right now that I had custom produced Produced by my guy, Michael, out of Russia, who's a sick beat producer. Check that stuff out. That is the origin story of my business, the origin story of what I'm up to. And it's really what I am most proud of. Episode seven, episode 69 of this podcast. Hope to see you on the next one. Hit me up on social media. I love you. Don't forget relationships over transactions. That is the way that you win. It's a long game. Human beings are happiest when they're in service. So serve others and you will be able to open any door that you ever wanted. Never forget that. If you don't know how to serve others, everybody needs an extra cheerleader. Cheer for people. Be invested in their future. See what you can do for them. It all comes back in the long run. I really hope you reach out to me. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to help you achieve your dreams. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome rest of your day.